smile If it takes just a little while Put on your headphones and then hit play You'll see underrated music, movies, and media in a different way Don't stop listening to this podcast Don't stop, the episode is here It's on the list with Noah and Mason It's time for the pod It's time for the pod Ooh Whoa (laughs) Thanks for listening to the show (laughs) Whoa Mason texts me this week and is like, Thank you, listening to the show. Shut up. Mason texts me this week (laughs) and he's like, Can I please do the song parody? (laughs) Can I please with the little crying emoji and the fucking fingers going at each other? And I'm like, Yes, of course. This is our podcast. Why would I ever say no to something like that? But no, that was, I'm not even kidding. That was the best song parody that we've done so far. Uh, Next week is going to be. Uh, better and worse. Even better. No, it's going to be exactly. better and worse. Uh, but he's right. I agree. He's right. Welcome to the show. I'm glad I lived up to your expectations, honestly. I was uh, not worried uh, about coming to the table, but I had this 75% done by the time I asked you because I needed this. Because you bring such a strong song parody game each week. I knew that if I was going to take the reins, but once, it had to live up to live up to the, the standard so that's that's that we're on the list everybody it's time for the Once show again uh, another week of us being on the list a podcast about underrated movies media music all that good shit like mason said in the intro song i am your co-host noah marger and i'm with mason again mason how have you yes. been in the Hello. last week uh last week beginning of the week was a little stressful because i uh it was the an unprecedented event i fucked up (laughs) the audio and could not salvage it but i've learned my lesson yes this is not going to happen in the future uh next time if it happens in the future it will probably just be that the entire episode is lost but i'm not going to curse that i'm not going to curse that i've learned from my mistakes got a better workflow now but after that little bit of a stressful event it was uh not bad and it happened to fall on 420 of all days it did. It, did. it was kind of like, it's like how the Nina Kramer episode happened to come out on her birthday. Yes. Um, and we happened to release our very last episode, like what, a week before the year ended or like close to Thomas Erdarian's birthday it was or something. Or the last one. episode of season one came out on December 30th. So literally like the day before New Year's Eve slash two days before the fucking New Year. And I think Thomas's birthday is at the beginning of December, so <laughs> it's kind of yeah. connected. It's kind of funny. It's kind of cool. <laughs> uh, but we're back, baby. Uh, did you have a we're good back. 420 holiday weekend otherwise? Uh, <laughs> yeah, much of the same. You know, I decided I made a little bit of an adjustment to my room, and I put a big blanket over my window. So now it's like kind of a little dark fortress, and it's better to watch movies and to real, like, I mean, like a kind of a, 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 a cocoon. You've created I don't a man realize cave. That time is passing when I'm working. I have created a man cave. I have put up a Scarface, uh, Peter Griffin as a Scarface poster. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's right next to my Homer Simpson as Scarface poster. <laughs> and Homer Simpson is holding a donut instead of a gun. I and do it's, love that. Uh, I look at it every night. Well, that's yeah. good. Um, how are you? How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing okay. <laughs> uh, I love that because this is a little bit getting a little bit dark here already on the episode. My favorite Peter Griffin meme of all time is him wearing a trench coat <laughs> and holding an assault rifle, and it just says, "My life oh, is perfect," fuck. and I love that. That is my favorite <laughs> Peter Griffin meme. 
name of all time because you know he's entering a school or a church or something like that. And uh, that's my favorite Peter Griffin meme of all time. Oh, God. Speaking of Peter Griffin memes, I'm yeah. a little I'm a little stressed out right now myself because uh, we just released a meme on YLG.world that uh, was basically – I'm not going to say it was 100% my idea because Fed definitely did add some touches and it became a collaborative effort, but I came to him with the idea. I don't usually come to him mm. with the memes idea, and uh, it's not doing so well right now. That's all I'll say. Oh, no. Well, you know what? As we speak, I'm going to just th- – as we speak, and why don't you – this is not just the two of us this week. No. Why don't you introduce our guest, and I'll share this meme on my social media so that it gets the recognition it Well, deserves. thank God. Now we're going to be fine if Mason's sharing it on his social media. Uh we got a really good guest this week. You may remember him from uh, a season one episode. He is legitimately the first guest we ever had on this podcast. If you don't count Professor Carter, if you don't count Producer Carter (laughs) being there for the pilot episode where we talked about Stalker. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's one of my best friends in the whole world. He is a filmmaker. He is a photographer. He is a movie buff. Uh, He is, in a lot of ways, he knows... A lot more about this shit than I do, so we're really lucky to have him on the podcast. Please welcome back to the show, Dustin Titcom, ladies and gentlemen. Wow, wow, wow. Thank you for that intro. It was even better than the first one. It could not have been worse. (laughs) Because you did it yourself. I listened to the episode, and Mason goes, why don't you introduce yourself? And I'm like, oh, fuck, here we go. Dustin's about to introduce himself on the third episode of a podcast that barely exists. So, yeah, couldn't be worse. How you doing? I'm doing well. You know, everyone has to start from somewhere. So that was a, a fond memory in Mason's sweaty apartment that one day. But uh, maybe the sweatiest bit... possible situation, maybe the sweatiest way to ever meet somebody would be in that apartment doing that podcast. Second floor. It was memorable for sure. But we're in different circumstances now, of course. Yeah, we're not even in the same physical space. Dustin isn't even in the same no, let alone as us right now. Same country. Where are you, Dustin? I am uh, back home right now. I'm from Canada originally. Uh, so my family lives on Vancouver Island, BC, oh, nice. uh, which is where I flocked to when Justin Trudeau said, hey, I think I might close the border. So, uh, yeah, it's been a little over a month now since I left L.A., um, not permanently, but temporarily. Chef Justin, Chef Dustin. <laughs> what happened there? Yeah, we, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure I'll finish. I'll finish that bit at the end of the episode. That'll be, you don't have uh, to after episode two. No, nope, that's okay. You don't have to finish that one. Um, <laughs> Dustin, you have been staying in a house kind of by yourself. It's not really like a back house. You're literally in a different house from the rest of your family. Is that correct? Yeah, I did my two weeks of isolation uh, just because I was traveling through LAX and Seattle, which are two airports that 100% have had multiple confirmed yep. cases. So really? I was not going to take the risk. Uh, I was fine. Um, whether I turned out to be asymptomatic, who knows? Uh, but I have been healthy since then. My family's healthy. Uh, so yeah, it was, uh, uh, pretty strange, but a great time to start watching a lot of movies, which that's, is what I did. That's what that I was going to ask you. What were, what were some of the highlights of a, having a house to yourself, B having access to things that you probably wouldn't have had access to otherwise and C uh, just knowing that you can actually watch something guilt-free, because I don't know about you, but living the freelance life, if you want to watch a movie on like a Thursday at 1 p.m., you gotta like, you gotta convince yourself that this is worth it. Because I'm like, fuck, I know people who are working right now. Um, <laughs> so, what have you been watching? What are some highlights? 
Uh, well, yeah, that's the thing, too, is that uh, I agree. It's definitely been a great time for me to make more than my money back on the Criterion sure. channel subscription. Hey, there you go. Uh, but anything will just come to mind, and I'll go through just sudden urges. Like I decided to uh, watch the Peter Bogdanovich uh, films, three of those that they have on the Criterion channel. Uh, just because I wake up one morning, I think, you know, it's time for me to check that out because I've never seen a sure. Bogdanovich movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, a French New Wave kick as well because there were a lot of films from uh, that that I still haven't seen. Uh, so there were a couple of days there where I was just in, in France. Uh, and that was fun. Um, but uh, definitely uh, some of my favorites, uh, Paper Moon yeah. uh, by Bogdanovich. Oh, yeah. um, I loved immediately. You know, I got um, a... Paper Moon, I think, will come back up for me uh, later when we get into the actual discussion Whoa. that we're going to talk about. Because, uh, yeah, I, I saw that movie actually for the first time f- relatively recently when I was in L.A. Oh, yeah. Because it was a, uh, they were screening it as a Saturday morning matinee at the New Bev. Oh. Uh, but that is a really wonderful movie. I love that movie. I think that movie <laughs> is actually yes. on my personal list for this show. So we can do a little mini talk about that movie we have a lot we actually have a lot to talk about this episode like we do we do we do this is a stack this is a stacked episode we get it's it's we're cut we're it's coming hot off the griddle these stacks this episode these, these episodes keep flying off the griddle like hot takes <laughs> these hot takes are like hot cakes ladies and gentlemen fuck this show sucks everybody stop listening to it uh we have I guess we, don't laugh at that. Don't laugh at that, Mason. Come on. No, you can laugh at that. It may be hot, but it, it may sure be sucks. hot, but it sure tastes like shit too. Um, we have a guest choice album, uh, and we have a, a special movie discussion this week. Uh, I'll just say mm-hmm. we want to get you. Do want to get into the movie, or excuse me, do you want to get into the album? Is everyone ready to get into this album? That's usually how you start. I uh, from what I've noticed. Am. I'm ready. All right. Well, this week we have an album that I've I literally had never heard of nor knew existed at all uh, before it was brought to our attention by Dustin. There is a the first thing that you have to know about this album is there is a discrepancy about when it came out. Spotify says 2009. Every other source imaginable says 2008. <laughs> Don't know which one I'm going to believe. I'm on Team Spotify though. In the comments, hashtag Team Spotify or hashtag Team General Information. <laughs> Um, but this week we have here's what? the thing. Though. What? Here's the thing. We uh, we we did get into a little bit of uh, argument uh, before the cameras even rolled, before the uh-huh. mics were turned on. Uh, but here's the thing. Uh, first of all, the album is "The Seldom Seen Kid" by the English rock band Ooh. Elbow. Elbow. Uh, and I think the reason that it says 2009 for you on Spotify, not just for you, but for everyone, uh, is because there are three bonus tracks added sure. on so it's somewhat of a deluxe edition uh yes. which i think would have been added uh a year after the original release date of the actual album that doesn't have those three bonus tracks uh which happens to be for the united states uh april 22nd 2008 which was 12 years ago yesterday as of the time Damn. of this recording. that is crazy happy 18th birthday seldom seen not kid. 18th birthday <laughs> it's 12, 12 but it's you were, close enough. You, listen. Nope, 18. <laughs> 18. Not, Somebody will be listening to this podcast in 2026, and I will be right. Some, so. This one's going in the vault. Someone, will be, someone yes. will be listening to this podcast here 18 and go, 
yes, and then another person will be listening to this podcast <laughs> and hear no 12 and go, yes, but it'll be a different person. Uh, Dustin, how did you uh, find this album? This is legitimately something I had never heard of or didn't even know existed. So how did this album come into your life? Uh, it came into my life in 12th grade. Uh, back in high school, my friend showed me uh, one of the songs. He showed me Grounds for Divorce. He said, hey, check out this really badass song. Uh, and then I listened to it, and I was like, yeah, that's yeah. pretty badass. Um, and so I listened to the whole album after that, uh, as well as their following album, Build the Rocket Boys, uh, because this is uh, like 2012 uh, for me. So the album had already been out for a few years. Uh, but yeah, I owe my friend Chris a uh, big thank you for showing me this back in the day. Um, and I've since then really loved uh, this album in particular. Uh, and Elbow is one of those English bands that is very popular over there, uh, but for whatever reason hasn't really reached mainstream success or notoriety uh, across the pond. So it wasn't necessarily a surprise to me that you had never heard of them, but uh, over in the UK they are definitely a fairly big act. Mason, had you heard of this album at all? Uh, I don't think so. Um, I definitely not heard, I don't think I've heard any of the songs, that I know for sure. The band Elbow sounded kind of familiar, and I was trying to think if this is a band that um, a friend of mine who was kind of into this sort of uh, ecosystem of music uh, was into when I was hanging out and swapping CDs with them back in the day. Uh, but this is pretty much a fresh listen for me. That's interesting um, that, even you, though, that you said this yeah. ecosystem uh, of music because I actually wanted to put up the question specifically to Dustin, but I want to hear everyone's uh, consensus on this or what they think. How would you classify this album, this like sound? How would you genreify this album? Uh, well, I mean, you could say alternative, uh, although I think that yeah. that's always been a hilariously dumb uh, genre title. Um, but you could also say art rock, I think, um, which again is open to various different interpretations. Um, but you know, I think this album in particular has a lot of sonic variety. Um, yeah. and we can get into that because grounds for divorce, uh, which is basically the lead single as obviously a really hardcore bluesy rock song, uh, that hits hard. And then towards later in the album with One Day Like This, it's kind of a classic anthemic rock song that is somewhat reminiscent of, like, Bittersweet Symphony. Um, I was thinking Peter Gabriel. Uh, yeah, Peter Gabriel, too. Hardcore Peter Gabriel from a sp- particularly One Day Like This, uh, which that was, like, I guess that's, on the Spotify streams, that's their most streamed song with, like, 51 million. And I was like, it was kind of insane that that was that popular of a song. And it was, like, basically the first time I was hearing it. But they London did use it as their, like, kind of Olympics anthem, I think. Uh, or used it was it in for the, the uh, closing day ceremonies. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they used it then, and it kind of jumped way Was up it London, or was uh, it uh, was it uh, Beijing? Because I thought it was the 2008 Olympics, but I could be wrong on that one. I think it was... No, it, it was London was it? 2012. Okay. Yeah, it would have definitely been London. It, unless there was, like... President G or whatever in 2008 was like, we have to get Elmo well, it says, <laughs> to close it out. Says right here, a version of the song One Day Like This Without Lyrics was used as background and theming for the BBC's coverage of the 2008 Olympic Games. And that's what I'm reading, at least. 
Gotcha. Well, that could just be, like, the BBC had the, like, bought the rights to that song and used it under their, like, kind of coverage of it. And then when El- when it came time for Jolly Old England to host the, the freaking games. The freaking games. You're like, the freak, oh, it could blow me, we're going to play the freaking games. We're going to shoot a discus, mate. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to do a javelin toss, cracker. Uh, but <laughs> but it, it, at that point, they were like, you know, we ha- let's just get Elbow to play the real deal to close this out. Um, but yeah, like, when I'm thinking about, like, I think it's alternative's a good kind of thing. Like, uh, when I was reading up on this album and this band, then were the term cinematic rock came up a lot, um, which I can kind of, I understand that. It's very, um, th- there's a lot of uh, layered kind of orchestral sounds that feel very, like, kind of big and uh and sort of cinematic in a way and very um it really just is a sort of transport it's very good at like kind of just being a transcendent transportive experience in a way that uh cinema can offer when i'm thinking about like contemporary bands like that like around this time like i was listening to this and i heard heavy like keen or snow patrol or that kind of stuff like that kind of excuse me british like kind of alt art uh, rock, uh, but this is like a really um, uh, no. What is, what's your thoughts on this? That's my, that's my thoughts on uh, this. Well, it's interesting. I actually yeah. feel very similarly to both of you. I want to just touch on the uh, the Peter Gabriel sound. Uh, they've cited Genesis in particular, the Peter Gabriel like prog rock years when he was like heavily in the band. Because uh, as any mm-hmm. good uh, prog rock fan knows, Peter Genesis excuse me, Peter Gabriel split off from Genesis <laughs> to go do his own thing. And then Phil Collins took it over and it definitely took on a different sound. I'm more partial yeah. to the Phil Collins era of Genesis, but the lamb lies down on Broadway is a hell of an album uh, that we could easily crack open on this show one of these days. But I think it's yeah. interesting that you, you guys kind of said it. And this was my feeling on it at first. And that was when I listened, and I actually, I pulled a Mason on this one, and I did actually listen to this album twice. Um, I actually listened to it twice, as opposed to when Mason says it, and he lies about listening to it twice. (laughs) But uh, I listened to it, I listened to it twice, and the first time I went through it, I really wasn't that into the album as a whole. It, it, I, like, was listening to each track, and outside of, like, so the, 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 outside of tracks one and two, track one being Starlings, and track two being The Bones of You, which I found to be, really strong openers to the band or excuse me to the album i feel like starlings is like just like an explosion of like okay kid get ready like your world's about to be fucking rocked and i was kind of underwhelmed by what i had heard uh after that except for when grounds of divorce came on because i'm like okay that sounds like you know you're sitting in the menu of like nhl 20 or fifa 20 and you're like getting ready to like get into a match um that's like it's that's what it (laughs) sounded like and every other track in my head sounded like either it was going over the opening titles of a movie or the closing titles of a movie, which there's nothing wrong with that at all, but it just gave me those vibes of that it's not really the thing that you're supposed to be paying attention to. This is supposed to support a greater something. This is supposed to be under a film or yeah. under, you know, even a video game cutscene. And again, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. It just was one of those things where I felt this feels like it isn't the focal point of whatever is actually happening. This feels like background music in the best possible way. But then I put it on again. I went for another drive and I put it on again 
and I kind of changed my tune a little bit. I was really into this album. I think that this is a really, I don't want to say interesting because I feel like that's like a little bit of a cop-out word, but it is so like dynamic in that it changes from song to song, really what you're thinking and feeling about. And it, I think yeah. it's really doing that on purpose. It starts out like with such a bang on Starlings and then the bones of you is like this like adult contemporary rock song. And then you go to mirror ball, which is so much softer and it kind of is just rotating through those three thoughts and feelings throughout the entire album ending with before you actually get to the, uh, or not, it doesn't end with it, but on one day like this, where it's kind of like the culmination of like this, like softer, but like inspiring thing that you're feeling and thinking, I don't know. It was just a very interesting listen um, did you guys have like shifting a thoughts and feelings about it as you're going out? And what does the, do, do those shifting thoughts and feelings feel like if they, if they are true? Uh, Justin, do you want to, you can, uh, handle this one first. Cause you're, it, this is like your album. You brought it on. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, a couple things I want to point out. First of all, uh, going back to Peter Genesis, <laughs> hey, yeah, uh, Peter Genesis, baby. There's, it's, it's no surprise that uh, you thought of him, Mason, because he actually did cover, uh, he did a cover version of Mirrorball. Oh, um, boy. See, that was my, I, that was my favorite song in this album, and now I gotta track that down, because I love me a Peter Gabriel, I love me a Peter Gabriel cover, and I really love a Mirrorball, so I'm gonna find, I'm gonna put that in my little to-do list now. Yeah, he changes it up a little bit, but he also, uh, there's a nice quote uh, that I felt would be relevant to read out here. This is him talking about the band. Uh, we came across Elbow first when they did their first album here at Real World Studios with the wonderful Steve Osborne, and I really liked the remix they did for More Than This from my Up album. When I started really listening to what they were doing, I thought there was a wonderful musicality full of inventiveness with lots of beautiful melodies. When I was trying to sing this, and it was a bitch to sing, it reminded me of trying to sing some of the old melodies I had written with Genesis, like Got to Get In to Get Out, that were full of awkward intervals. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, I mean, no surprise there that you, uh, you brought it up. Um, but for me, yeah, I, I agree. There is a lot of uh, dynamic range uh, from song to song. And I think there are certain moments, like Mirabal, uh, just talking about that in particular, uh, I find to be one of the most underrated love songs uh, ever. Uh, it really strikes a chord with me every time I hear it. Yeah. Um, but for every song like that or one day like this which is obviously so soaringly uh, hopeful uh, there are also some really dreary tracks uh, like Loneliness of a Tower Crane Driver uh, as well as some riots which to be completely honest also happened to me some of my favorite moments Yeah, uh, I can't tell you how many times I've driven in really rainy weather up here in Vancouver listening to some riots I think it's just such an evocative song uh, and reading out the lyrics to, uh, again, it just paints really vivid pictures in your mind uh, and the instrumentation. It's interesting that uh, us all three are from slightly, like, I'm not going to say, we're not from tropical climates, any three of us originally. Um, no, we're from pretty cold places. We're from all from pretty cold, rainy, like, cloudy places. And it's interesting Speaking of like driving in the wet in that kind of weather, one of my go to songs, at least in high school when I was driving around, actually was Salisbury Hill by Peter Gabriel. I would like do pump that shit in yes. the car, and there's so much lush greenery yes. around my area that I would like throw that on, go to like the top of a hill or like a park, and just like 
play it as loud as I could without disturbing anyone, obviously. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was just like such, and that was like so triumphant for me. And it's interesting on the other side of the coin, throwing, you know, some riots on and driving through uh, the rain. It's a completely different feeling. It's not as much as a, of an explosion and it is as an introspective look. And I do think that that, this album kind of does have a track for all occasions. And it's interesting that it does and that I made the, um, connection to the the lyric of the the movie background like title stuff because in my head i almost went through and was like okay this song feels like a spy movie and this song feels like <laughs> like an action film and i didn't do that because nobody gives a fuck but i was like sitting there and i'm thinking like this really does have something for everybody and i think that's why my first listen was so up and down but i'm sorry to interrupt you dustin but this is my podcast so please continue <laughs> I'm graced by the opportunity to be here. That is a lie. Uh, I keep going. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you are right. Um, I don't want to repeat myself already, but like, uh, for instance, The Fix, I think, which is most likely the spy song yeah, you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, because that's literally just about a rigging a horse race. Um, so it, it kind of, I think, kind of closest feels to that genre. Um, but there is a lot of uh, personal uh, introspection here um, that, and it actually relates to the title of the album itself too. Uh, the songs "Grounds for Divorce," uh, as well as the last song on the album "Friend of Ours," uh, which are very, very different totally. in style uh, and and in substance, or not substance, but and uh, how they're uh, performed. But they are both about uh, the band's longtime friend, uh, who unfortunately died back in 2006. Like right um, at the beginning of the recording name, of this album, because they recorded it over the span of a couple years. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he, his name is Brian Glancy. Um, so he is the titular seldom seen kid, uh, and he suffered from alcoholism, uh, which is kind of where the main theme of Grounds for Divorce comes in, uh, which is also one of their most popular songs and is kind yeah. of their uh, mainstay for performing live because it really evokes totally. response from the audience during the chorus. Yeah. The chorus. Um, so it's, it's, it's pretty uh, provocative just to think about you know, night in, night out playing that song. And obviously there's a lot of emotion to it, uh, but the idea of playing that song so consistently uh, with each time most likely remembering your friend who at least at this point has died over a decade ago um, that's something that uh, sticks with me um, but then the last song on the album Friend of Ours is again about him but it's a little bit more of a uh, goodbye note so to speak Yeah, um, much more tender and uh, I think kind of you know after immediately following one day like this it's sort of like the party's over uh but people are still knowing sure. about and the song is kind of faintly playing in the background uh that's the feeling yeah that's a great I get, that's a great get. read on that that is that's a very specific feeling that everyone can relate to and without a doubt like when you when you feel it you know it mason yeah Yes. What hello what song did you drive around to in the rain when you were in high school? 
when I was in high school, so Salisbury Hill was a big one. Nice. Um, but uh, man, I remember just when I was driving around in the rain. My, the memory that's coming back to me right now is listening to a lot of like specifically like Pat Oswalt and David Cross stand up, just trying to be anywhere <laughs> besides. Yeah, uh, another one that I can that's coming to mind right now is that was when I was big into listening to Whatever and Ever Amen by the Ben Folds Five. Another another good one, yeah. Big classic. I think we want to talk about this, talk about that album on the show sometime, and I'm way game to yes. do it. Um, but for that one, I think at that time, uh, it must have been. Um, oh my God, what's the? Uh, let me. I gotta look this up real quick. It's the very last song on it. That's just so cold and dreary um evaporated that's yes, it chef uh i was in evaporated was a big time drive uh around sad one uh not as much brick but definitely fair i'm looking at this i the, i uh, did not know what brick actually was about until friend of the pod and friend of all of ours alan macchiarolo told me what it was about because he's <laughs> the one who introduced me to that album again Probably gonna cover oh, really? this, but probably gonna cover this album on the pod. So I don't want to get to it. I want to stay on course, as they say. But he told me what it was about, and I'm like, "There's no way you're a little idiot." <laughs> and then I listened to it. And I'm like, "He's smart. He's smarter than me." <laughs> so, um, but just the six a.m. Day, day after, after Christmas, Christmas. There's a Jake and Amir where where Amir is singing that to Jake, where he's in bed with him. And he like wakes him up, and he just goes six a.m. Really? Because he doesn't know the rest of the words; he just knows six a.m. Well, I learned that song uh, to play on our band room piano when I was in high school. Hell yeah! Did not get any. Yeah, did not get any kind of like. Uh, got a little bit of attention, but no action for. Doing I was just gonna that, say that is a song, which we will talk about. That later. is a song that does not. Uh, Re- elicit action in that way. That's kind of the. It's kind of the opposite <laughs> nope. of action in that way. Um, nope. Mason, do you have any other thoughts on the seldom seen kid before we? Uh, before we, I don't want to say wrap it up because we got a lot to talk uh, about. But we do have a lot to talk about. Uh, I don't know. I think you guys kind of covered everything I wanted to talk about. I love the that friend of ours is the little little note, the kind of coda this album ends on coming after the hive one day like this. It reminded me of. Um, a uh, 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 past album spotlight, uh, St. Vincent's Actor, where it ends with this big, uh, just the same but brand new, and then end, it goes into the party, I believe, and it is kind of this like feeling of, you know, some one day like this is this this triumphant moment, this like it, it's this huge, it's like this huge love song, this thing that's kind of broken through, like it's broken through the fog and the dark night of your worst of y- 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 yourself at your worst. And you op- throw open the windows, and it's like, one day like this uh, year would serve me right, is the chorus. And it's huge. It makes you feel great. It just gets you ready to just kind of do whatever. And then it what it doesn't end on that up note, which I think is really smart. It goes into Friend of Ours, which is a much um, quieter, more contemplative kind of, but still like really uh, beautiful and uh, emotional song. And it is kind of that moment after you have that huge, uh, like, epiphany or that catharsis, and you like, can break through the, the, the stuff that you've, you can break through this, like, the depression, for lack of a better word, and then you just kind of have to learn how to go on the rest of your life 
Um, go on with the rest of your life, and I think it's just a well, great way to end it. I love Mirrorball, like I said. I love just a song that you should slow dance to. Uh, I think this is an album that has a lot of good uh, just song craft, and it really puts you – I think it, it, you're right. I had this similar kind of thing where I was going on this dynamic – riding the wave of this album both times I was listening to it because I think that there's like different each track almost has a different focal it's point a different in mood. a way each like track through, is a different mood yeah or like even through like the eyes of a different person almost or an eyes of like a kind of different character in this in this setting but uh yeah I like this album a lot I really really like it no it's in, you're trying to interrupt me real well, quick what's I'll, your what's I'm your just gonna to say that the 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 two other things that I just wanted to make sure I get said are that you don't really hear a lot of albums like this, at least in the mainstream anymore. This kind of is like, no, yeah, it makes me nostalgic for like 10 years ago when you would like hear, and you know, it's a religious band, but like a Switchfoot or like a shine down or like even a three days. Switchfoot was a religious band. Yeah, They were a Christian rock band, weren't they? Maybe I know that. Um, what, Not my field of expertise. Uh, I think they were. What was the other one? Sixpence None. The Richer definitely was. Were they? I don't know if Switchfoot was. Sixpence None. The Richer was. Yeah. Sixpence None. The Richer was. Yeah. Kiss me. Because that's a whole thing Beneath about the like, Milky Twilight. Yeah. I don't know if that was like a Christian rock song where they were definitely a Christian band. Sixpence None. The Richer. That was like how much you uh, like Judas was paid to betray Christ. Damn. Well, you're talking to a Jew, so I, I have no fucking I have no, no fucking idea what you're talking about. But uh, the uh, I wanted to say this made me nostalgic. Here's a concert lineup for you. Come into the Hollywood Casino Amphitheater in Tinley Park, Switchfoot, Stone Temple Pilots, and Nickelback. Oh, my favorite. On August 29th. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, if the country's back open by them, I'll fucking see you there, brother. Um, <laughs> yeah, brother, you know it. Uh, Nickelback's a little underrated. Uh, sorry. But um, <laughs> I wanted to say that also... Um, not only is this uh, album that I feel a little bit nostalgic for, but like you were saying, why doesn't the album end on um, one day like this? I was thinking about it in a similar capacity to an album that I've been re-listening to because Chef Thomas and I have been talking about it, and that's American Idiot by Green Day. And if you look at the track list for mm. that, the it, you would think if you wanted to end that album on the highest note possible, you would end on Homecoming because the end of Homecoming is literally like guy drumming going, nobody likes you, like over and over again, and it's this big symphonic thing. But that album doesn't end on Homecoming, even though you might think in your heart of hearts that it does, that might be how you remember it. It ends on What's-Her-Name, which really it is a great move, I think, on their part because that's really what the album's about. It really is about this teenage guy, this young guy who's just madly in love and has all these thoughts and feelings. And it's not really about the nobody likes you, we're coming home again. It's about this girl and this love that he has. And I think that this album is a little bit different in that it's not telling a story in the same way that American Idiot is. But it is really the real like root reason probably a lot of these songs are being written about is because of what is being said on that last track. And so I think it's really smart to end there, even though you might think, oh, one day like this would be a great way to end the album. That's all I really wanted to say. Dustin, do you have any final thoughts before we move on to the uh, the main course? Uh, no, I'm glad that I could introduce this to the both of you. Yeah. Uh, like I said, it's been in my rotation for quite some time now, and I think they're a band that deserves uh, some more credit over this way. Um, they've had uh, four albums uh, since this one come out, they had one come out last year. Um, and while the Zelda Team Kid is still my favorite, um, I, I highly recommend you guys 
anyone listening, uh, check them and out. So, would you recommend this album? I would recommend this album. Mason, would you? I do. I recommend this one. How do you feel about this album, Noah? I was If I had only given it one listen, I probably wouldn't have recommended it, but I'm really glad I gave it that second listen. I'm also going to recommend this album. It is not Definitely, a... Yeah. And again, we know how much I love British shit on this show, but... Um, the, the the it got me you know it's it's music it's fun uh it's really varied there's going to be tracks that stick out to you probably more than others but at the same time it's one that you can always come back to and realize oh maybe this listen i do actually really like mirrorball or oh wow this this listen i really do like the loneliness of a tower crane driver which talk about a hell of a title that just tells you everything you want to know yeah dude that title's fucking awesome it reminds me of the loneliness of a long distance runner title which is a movie i haven't seen i i bet that's intentional yes yeah. chef i've not seen that movie either i've not seen that movie either so if anybody's seen that movie uh my dms are open let me know how you feel about the loneliness of the long distance runner. that's a very cool way of saying your dms are open mason i really appreciate the creativity yeah on that dude one. um yeah but dude. it sounds like an all across the board recommendo so speaking of more all across the board <laughs> there's no good case segue king one for that one i'm sorry i didn't segue king this week all across the marquee oh, no. i gotta hold on i'm gonna just try another uh, musical no, I, gotta, I don't uh, parody fuck. i i gotta i got something for you later on the show dustin don't you fucking worry but we're, <laughs> oh, we're not we're not talking about any one movie in particular this week, folks. We're talking about no, movie places. We're talking about movie theaters. We're talking yes. about actually going to movies, what it means, especially because during these times, we're not going to the theater at all. Because if you do, yeah. you will die, apparently, and which is smart uh, to not go to the theaters. But they're on lockdown right now. And so Dustin actually pitched me this idea Um while you were actually still in L.A., Mason, that's how long ago Dustin had pitched me this idea. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, Dustin, do you want to do you want to give your in your words what this what this topic is? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, right now it's the, almost the end of April, two thousand twenty, and like you said, everywhere is locked down unless you're in Georgia, uh, because apparently the good government of Georgia thought that it was uh, right old dandy time to open the theaters yeah. back up and all the other places. We're not really going to get into that because the rest of the normal world, uh, you can't go see movies in yeah. the theater. Uh, Apologies so for all our was... listeners in Georgia. You are not the normal world, apparently. <laughs> Macon County, Atlanta County, it don't matter. Get your ass to the fucking theater, baby. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, like like you said, a, an idea that I talked to you the last year because you and I uh, love to frequent all the amazing theaters in Los Angeles, and we are very blessed uh, to have access to all those places that we're about to talk about. Uh, but this idea only became more more relevant um, now that uh, everywhere is shut down. And the idea that we are all missing these places of public gathering uh, is not just ours. It's being expressed uh, by lots of people yeah. uh, online and by journalists and film critics alike. Uh, and I would just quickly mention now uh, if you are in a place to donate, if you've gotten that check with the president's name on it and you're in a place to donate a few spare bucks, uh, the Art House America campaign put on by the Criterion Collection of Dennis Films uh, is a awesome way to support the Art House theaters across America yeah. uh, that are currently shuttered and it, need support yeah. and all the employees that work there uh, need support. On that same tip, uh, I don't know offhand if there's a LA 
uh, one of these for Los Angeles, I know that there's a Chicago Cinema Workers Fund, like a mutual aid fund that is raising money for the, uh, at this point, uh, unemployed, furloughed, laid off, whatever you want to call it, uh, cinema workers for this, the, and I'll put a link to that, both of those in the show notes uh, for this week, so that if people do have some spare cash lying around, they can um, put it to good use and make sure that the lights are on, so to speak, at these, at the, at the freaking movies, because uh, if we... Lose movie theaters, I will be, after all this, I will be so upset. Um, I remember, actually, I think now that you mentioned it, I do think I remember you pitching me on the sort of beginning, the genesis, the Peter genesis of this idea, Noah, and it was kind of based around the um, uh, the old uh, Cine family space, the old silent movie theater, and kind of if we have memories about that, because that has been, uh, that recently, well, there was a whole scandal with that, yeah. uh, and the the whole a uh, big time yeah uh whoopsie uh oh with uh not a w- sexual harassment not a whoopsie uh oh a yes <laughs> I'm doing this on purpose uh oh uh yeah big time abusive power situation with the the guy that used to run Cine Family, which is a real fucking shame because that was a great uh community a great space. But I believe they changed hands recently, and the Fairfax Theater opened up right at the end of last year, I believe. Yes, Chef. Um, never got a chance to visit that. Uh, but I think that now is kind of the perfect time to uh, talk about the subject today, which is, again, just going out, seeing the movies. Because God knows, you know, you have 25 episodes of this podcast for movie recommendations that you can find, acquire your own ways or whatever. But there is something... Uh, the the experience of going to the uh, the cinema the, the cinema yeah. or whatever, going to a dark room with a bunch of fucking strangers, eating your popcorn, drinking your Coke Zero, eating your Sour Patch watermelons. In my case, yes, chef. Uh, that's missing. That just cannot be. Uh, no matter how good your at home theater system is, cannot be replicated. Uh, and I think it's uh, it's cool that we're talking about it. I'm happy to. Get into it. And not just specifically going to the theaters, uh, which is sort of the umbrella topic, but more specifically just the art house theater experience, this being a underrated, you know, underseen whatever. A lot of those art house theaters uh, totally. are yeah. responsible for keeping these movies' memories alive and keeping these these this passion going and sort of it's like a I don't, not a self-fulfilling prophecy, but like you get, you get younger people to go into these theaters and that aspect of going to see art house movies and making those kinds of movies doesn't die. It's a, uh, yes. never ending cycle. It's a, what's the, whatever the opposite of a vicious cycle. It's the opposite of that. It's a it's positive a, like cycle. a feedback loop or something or, yeah, uh, exactly. It's a bit of a feedback yeah. loop. And so. Uh, I don't know what you did to prepare for this, but uh, Dustin and I, uh, so diligently, there he is, he's on the dock with me, We Dustin, uh, being a very normal film goer, uh, decided that he was going to keep log of every film that he had ever seen starting in what year, Dustin, 2016? That's correct. Uh, this is before I knew about Letterboxd, and then oh, really? for a while there, you were like, 
uh, hey, Dustin, you know, this list that you have is all is pretty cool. You, you could just get Letterboxd and it does the same thing. And then, you know, you could leave reviews and it's, uh, you know, like a social media place uh, for the movies. And uh, it's like really cool. And I was like, no. <laughs> uh, and I didn't really have a good reason. I just was felt like being stubborn. So you've only been on Letterboxd since 2016. I signed up for my Letterboxd account on oh. uh, Labor Day weekend 2015. He has not been on Letterboxd since 2016, my friend. Oh. Has... That's what yeah. I'm saying. Back in oh. uh, 2016 is when I started writing down manually on my computer notes what movies I saw and where. I, had a letter... I got Letterboxd as of this year. So we're four months in now to having a Letterboxd and it is... Definitely a better way of tabulating, but I've has since 2016. I've been writing down what and where and when. You want to know saw. what the uh, the first movie I ever logged on Letterbox was? I have been fucking dying to hear that, Mason. Please. Mad Max Fury Road. Oh wow, that's actually second... a huge movie to log as your first movie. That was this. It was I think the second time I had watched it because I saw it in theaters when it first came out, and it was like Labor Day weekend. I was about to start my last semester in school at chicago before i was gonna go to la nice. that next semester uh and i was like i'll just start a letterbox account i'm tired of like trying to remember when i was seeing movies and stuff and i just it just happened to be the first movie that i watched that well that's what happens that's with letterbox is you think oh this is gonna be a great way for me to keep track of what i'm watching and then it consumes your life and you have a watch list of over fifteen thousand movies that you want to watch one day and you never will that's uh what normal people do that's, online that's though. true um but so dustin had kept that manual list and what is really nice is that letterbox doesn't like offer you this feature but he wrote down where he saw it and with who and the specific date which you can add on letterbox but he made the very yeah uh in, in important point to do so so let's run through dustin what we've seen together um going from starting from the top because a lot of what we saw together i don't i mean we have seen stuff in like amcs and regal cinemas together but like 90 percent of what we've seen together has been in art house theaters. I used to literally drive up from Orange County to LA after you had graduated and we would go to the new Bev or we would go to the arrow together. Like that was like our thing. Yes. Uh, it was a really fond memory for me. Uh, and, and obviously now it's gone pause, but, uh, well, something that is something that I'll look forward to doing again, because, uh, some of my other friends can be a little bit more picky about if I say, Hey, you want to go see this the new Bev? And like, <laughs> no, but I know that uh, you're a little bit more reliable, uh, even if in back then, back in 2017, if it meant uh, driving up from Orange. So the very first thing that we saw at the New Beverly, uh, which was your first time, I believe, was the yeah, Cowboys. Yeah, which is something I mentioned Wayne. on the show before when we had Sonny Dion uh, Jr. on the show. I talked about my spring yeah. break rundown, which is a legendary run in the uh, annals of history of me watching 21 movies in 10 days and one of those movies yeah emphasis on anal on that yeah em emphasis on the funny part of the sentence um but uh <laughs> it's the part that's the buck yeah it's the asshole uh, the asshole of my memory uh when i went to go <laughs> when i went to go see that's your future biography the asshole of my memory. it's not written by me either it's written by some other fuck who i pay to do it and i pay to only say nice things um but we have the cowboys which was technically part of a double feature with the Cole Pepper Cattle Company but back in that day 
Dustin and I weren't sticking around for no Culpepper Cattle Company. We said, fuck it, and we left after the uh, after the Cowboys. But the Cowboys was pretty good, Dustin. It was. It was really good. Uh, I mean, I know that I like Westerns fairly consistently. I'm not sure how you feel about that genre. Uh, but I will also mention this is, of course, the new Beverly Cinema owned and operated by the one and only Quentin My Tarantino. And that was back before their big renovation. They were actually yeah. uh, shut down for a whole year, if you can believe it. Uh, yeah, so uh, that was before the renovation, and things were a little bit, not only a little bit more dingy, uh, but their space has been uh, completely redone uh, inside, and it looks it's still it looks very fancy while still being the theater that's uh, you know been around for I don't know specifically how many years, but like five decades it's, or something. It looks now. really yeah. nice on the um, inside, but that bathroom still fucking sucks. That is still one of the worst bathrooms. Off, yes. <laughs> I remember, like, I had I had never taken a shit in that bathroom, but I remember once, I think maybe at the screening of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I was like, Dustin, I'm so sorry. I got to go take a shit. And he's like, well, I feel sorry for you because that, thing, that thing's like crawling into a chicken coop. And I'm like, oh, it can't be that bad. And I walk in and I'm like, holy fuck, this is the worst bathroom in cinema history. So... Uh, bottom 10. The one thing that... Okay, so here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though. I will say that it got better after the renovation, but the real worst bathroom is at the Arrow. Just got to throw that you out. You think oh, that's I worse? never went to the Arrow. I do think I've shat in both bathrooms, and I I find the experience in the Arrow to be much, much more Wow, miserable. okay. Well, once things open up Curious. again, okay. I'm going to have to go take a shit in the Arrow. I don't even care if I'm going to go see a movie there. I'm just going to go there to take a shit. So, um, <laughs> But we saw the Cowboys there. Don't recommend that. We saw that. the Cowboys, and then two days later, we went to the New Art, and we saw the Blade Blade Runner, the final cut with friend of the podcast, Alan Macchiarolo, and Jake Duggar. Ooh. And it was a midnight screening, which is what the New Art is sort of famous for. I saw that at the uh, – did you guys ever go to the Secret Movie Club oh, at the Vista? Brother. Boy, have I gone to there. <laughs> Hell yeah, baby. Because that's where I saw, uh, I saw Blade Runner, the final cut there, I think probably – I think that was February of the year that 2049 was coming out. So that would have been 2017. Yes, but, uh, yeah. Uh, that's a fairly, like, the Secret Movie Club is a fairly expensive ticket. But I do just love the, like, I if I've seen, my favorite theater in L.A. is the Vista. Because it was pretty close to where I lived. I could get to it fairly quickly. And the theaters when I was freelancing, the tickets when I was freelancing were cheap as fuck. It's the same kind of theater family is at the Los Feliz 3 and if I went to a movie at 1 in the afternoon on a day I wasn't working which was a lot of times <laughs> uh, a ticket was like six fifty or something and I'm like perfect baby let me in I want to see uh, Suspiria <laughs> like let's let's do this and it's one of those theaters uh, where like if you go to some of these rep art houses sometimes the new Bev the seats are fucking terrible like they're just like straight backed and they're not comfortable and you're not there because it's supposed to be comfortable you're there because it's the only place that's showing all that jazz in 35 millimeter you're not there because you're eating the snacks you're there because you're going to you know see Jackie Brown on 35 but the Vista has the best seating in one of those theaters I've ever been to the seating is unreal Yes, you have insane leg room in that place, which is another reason why I went there a lot. Is because you could just you could really just like lean back and like lay like just kind of man like man spread, uh, like you're sitting on the subway with that, just like 
dick out, balls out. Dick out, balls uh, out, taint out. Dick out, balls out. Shit out. Taint, taint, taint out. <laughs> Nails out. I think you'd have to be nine feet tall in order to actually stretch out to hit the seat in front of you. Uh, that's correct. In those that's perfect. Because like you, you're what, eight, nine, right? So you barely fit. Yeah, I'm right on the edge. Right on the edge. Yeah, we for the listeners at home, we cannot see Dustin's face. We are just getting like his neck, his kind of collar, yeah, his neck and his kind of collarbone area. It's very similar to like the parents on Cow and Chicken, if you remember that. <laughs> That's all we can see of Dustin. <laughs> wow, right now. what a fucking throwback, bro. We're at this midnight screening, and there are these two people. Dustin, you remember how annoying those two people were in front? I really of didn't think that they were gonna get a mention on this podcast, but yes, I do remember how annoying Put those people blast. were. And I remember that blast. Jake went to go and get uh, the one of the workers. They to did not. Up. They lit. So not only did we as a group say something to these people, and they're probably what late thirties, Dustin? Would you say? Yeah, oh, they were older than what? us. What? Yeah, so. and they were there sitting right in front of us, and as a group, we had said something. Then one particular person in our group, Jake, went to go say something. They still weren't quiet, and so then Jake went to go get the workers to tell them to be quiet, and they still talked during the movie. Less so. They were smart about it, (laughs) but less so. And I was like, damn. Actually kind of ruined the movie a little bit. Not that the movie itself was ruined, but like being in the new art and of it being midnight when everyone's sort of threshold and bar is a little bit lower i was like damn bro shut the fuck up for real yeah, and during blade runner which is like kind of a quieter movie which is like a very you got to really like kind of sit and like luxuriate in that movie 100%. it's not like you know you're not seeing mad max fury road or you're not seeing like i don't know a mission impossible or or, or sorcerer or something or where it's going to be very active mad max fury road too. or one of the very favorite <laughs> films of the new art which would be the rocky horror picture show which is played there multiple times oh, you... for decades and everyone sings along i haven't actually been there for that but i know that that's kind of a film where you expect people to be yeah so the voices there uh the sort of um i went to exactly one rocky horror midnight show uh and that was when i was in college in chicago in my first apartment i don't know if i've said it on the pod but i'm gonna repeat it because it's now now's the time to talk about it was on uh, roughly around Irving Park and Southport. All my you know real north side heads know exactly where I'm at. What I'm about to say, Fuck yeah. And I was like a ten minute walk down the road from the Music Box Theater, which is like kind of the more or less na- like kind of Chicago theater. Nice. If you want to say it? Um, it's like where uh, some memories of that was uh, when the movie Love and Mercy came out. Oh. I had tickets. I think through uh, the dissolve was still active at that time, and they had uh, like a giveaway, and I got tickets to see that movie in advance. Uh, John Cusack and Brian Wilson oh. were at, there for a Q and A afterwards. Wow! Uh, but that's also the theater where they have midnight screenings. I saw midnight, so they do like the room there all the time. They did Rocky Horror there. I knew somebody that was in the shadow cast for Rocky Horror, and so we went to support them once. Uh, they also have a shadow cast that I went to for the movie Clue. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, and they've also, for at Midnight's, have done, like, uh, Walk Hard or yes, Space Jam. Yes, Space Jam. So, yeah, it's a really, like, <laughs> a great place to see a movie. It's my favorite theater, and it's where I saw, I, when I went to, um, when I was downtown for in Chicago for New Year's, I crashed at my cousin's place, and they live around the corner for, uh, on Clark and Grace, which is just down the other way from the Hell theater. yeah, Clark and Grace. My Fuck very yeah. first movie of the decade, which was 
Greta Gerwig's Little Women on 35 millimeter at the at the Music Box Theater. Just chilling on, got my popcorn. Uh, you know me, I love the Little Women, and it was like great. This is my theater. This, this is fucking gonna be my evil. What you year, just baby. said that's fucking evil. You I'm just gonna said, come, you I'm gonna come asshole. to the Music Box so much. Uh, but yeah, and it's like the thing that I love about the Music Box is, and I would love to talk about kind of the. Um, we talked about the interior of the new Bev, and I remember it when it was like really gross, like right before the um uh, the big renovation. Uh, the renovation, yeah. And the first time I saw a movie there after they had renovated, I don't remember exactly what movie it was, but I remember walking in and feeling and just my eyes could not adjust to how bright the floor was sure. in the concession stand, <laughs> and I was just like, this doesn't feel like I'm in the same the correct place at all. It's so bright i can see the ground i'm sitting in a semi-comfortable chair what's going on here? not comfortable chair uh, but, but yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fuck those chairs i hate those chairs that is literally like we'll have some stats for you at the end that dustin and i tabulated but uh that is like the biggest reason i don't like going to the new bev to be honest with you because it's pretty much exactly what you would want the concessions are you know cheap the tickets are fairly affordable the movie selection is always awesome there it's 10 bucks for two movies you can't go wrong i mean you know and like you know and uh, additionally the movie selection that they play it's always interesting whether you actually have seen the movie Mm -hmm. or actually are going because you know the movie that's a place i would show up to just to be like oh what are they showing tonight you can't say that literally collect the calendars for the new bev they just post them on their wall as if it's a poster. And that's the thing, and I feel like this is a thing very much with, uh, I did not clock this as much when I was in Chicago, because I was just going to the music box all the sure. time. And not as much other theaters, so I did go to the Siskel Center sometimes, because it was pretty close. Um, and I'll talk about facets a little later, probably, if we get into like childhood experiences, but I did, there's definitely in LA a specific crowd that you see at the different like rep houses like totally. there's definitely an egyptian crowd there's definitely and like i never made it to the west side really because it was just not advantageous for travel for me so i didn't really get a chance to go to the era where the new art i don't think at all i don't think i saw a single th- movie at either of those places but you would go to the new bev and no matter the show you would see the same like 12 people there yeah. I, there's definitely like a, the new bev crowd uh, which is like what I can talk a lot, a lot we, about those people because I've sat outside the theater waiting for tickets for my record is probably like two hours and I definitely know the people had that one guy at all that yeah. jazz who was like a regular who was sitting to my left and I'm like man if this fucking guy is sitting next to us the whole screening this is gonna fucking suck and then I remember he got up and said I actually got a seat down by my friends. <laughs> and he just fucking walked Like, to down. you? Yeah, he said that to me and Dustin. And he just walked down to the center of the theater. And, like, he's, like, this older gentleman. He's probably in his mid to late 50s. And he was just, like, high-fiving these guys. Ah, it's good to see you. There's definitely a little bit of, like, a freak crowd at the New Bev Well, I'd like sometimes. to point out on the notion of the freaks because Noah and I have been to New Bev over a dozen times. And... Uh, I've stood outside for hours to get into certain events that have been sold out, uh, but I have not yet been to a marathon night at sure. the Bev. Uh, mm-hmm. And for example, one that uh, I mean, every October they'll do a horror marathon where you don't know what the movies are going to be, but people will line up the night before to get their seat. Yeah, that is how dedicated yeah. these people are. They know what seat they want, and they will line up the night before that everything's supposed to start in order to to make sure that they get their seat for another night of staying awake and watching all these different movies. 
like there was an Arnold's there was an Arnold night too. It's not just to them about seeing the films or not even about to them seeing the marathon of the film. It's about being in the space, being in the seat yeah. that they love. It's a home. It yeah. really yeah. is that next level for these, you know, these core freaks as we are so lovingly referring to them, but that's their thing, you know, and every theater has that crowd to a greater or lesser degree. Um, can we move on to the next um, movie that you and I saw uh, at an art house, Dustin? Because it is a little bit of an also a good one, as I would like to point out. Uh, according to my list, it's Good Time, which was at the Cinerama. Yes. Game. And so that was my first oh, time ever in yes. the dome with Dustin. Oh, <laughs> oh, baby. Oh. Now, that's a ooh man. I saw that movie at the three. Actually, I went to see the uh, I a buddy of mine, my buddy Gabe. Uh, was like, hey, let's go see a movie. And I'm like, he was living in Los Feliz. I'm like, yeah, what's playing at the three? Oh, I hear Good Time is good. Went and not seeing a single trailer, not having what? any expectations, and just, you know, I think it was off Twitter at that time. So I wasn't, like, seeing movie trailers. I was just kind of going off of word of mouth and whatever. It's, like, floating Bro, across. dude, the Good Time dude. trailer is, like, that is, like, when I saw the Good Time trailer, I literally was like, these guys are going to, like, crush cinema for as lever long as they want to do it like seeing that trailer i was at the uh the, the irvine like place they used to show all the like a24 movies at back in when we were in school um the irvine regal cinema or whatever and i remember seeing that trailer before like i don't know a ghost story or something like that and being like oh fuck it's a ghost story i gotta sit through this but i saw the trailer for good time or whatever it was and i literally was like this movie's gonna fucking destroy me when i go see it it was such a good trailer um, we were in the dome though, Dustin, and this was a very interesting situation because we had said to our third party friend, Hey, these, this is where we're sitting. Please sit with us. And he did not, did he? What? Well, I think he was, I think he was late in getting a ticket. So he had the chance when we said, Hey, we're going. And he said, yeah, okay, I'll go. And then, well, this is how I remember it. And he just didn't. He wasn't on the ball, so he still got a ticket. He wasn't jilted out when it eventually sold out. Uh, but the fun part about this screening was that it was a Q&A with not both of the brothers. It was only Josh, uh, Josh Softy, and Sebastian Bermard. Uh But the Q&A with them was moderated uh, by, by the lovely Selena yeah. Gomez. <laughs> Selena Gomez. Oh, Selena Gomez? Yes. Man. That's even that's. So, I could not have come up with that. That's a better <laughs> bit. Reality gave you a better bit than I did. Pretty much, yeah. That was how it went. Uh, and so our good friend Jacob had to sit up front, uh, which has happened to be where all of the Selena Gomez fans were sitting because they were not there to see the movie. They were there to be twenty feet yeah. from Selena Gomez. And then this is a problem with most ArcLight Q and As I've noticed. Uh, if you have a high profile star like that. Uh, people are going to just immediately swarm them because there doesn't seem to be any security between uh, the people doing the Q&A and the audience. So after it's finished, it's a big old swarm of the Selena Gomez fans, the Robert Pattinson fans, everyone who wants that to get a selfie. Is... And it's not really yeah. well handled by the theater, uh, but it doesn't really matter because Noah and I were in the <laughs> yeah. back where it was cool to be, and yeah. Jacob was near the front. 
uh, where I assume he had to really crane his neck to see that. Yeah, and that is where I realized that I, that was at a time. So that was my first time ever at the Dome, and it was one of those things where I thought to myself, man, the Dome is fucking overrated. Like, I hated the Dome after that screening, oh. and I was like, man, the Dome sucks. But it's because it's one of the only theaters I've ever been to where sitting in the front is better than sitting in no, the No, you got to sit on the floor, floor for that theater. Do you want to hear the nine movies I've saw at the Cinerama Dome as far as in terms of my letterbox? Of course. Here. So uh, th- I don't think this is logged in, in order. But I, so I believe the very first movie that I ever saw at the Arclight Cinerama Dome was uh, Get Out. Yeah, baby. Then it was that same year, Dunkirk. I saw at the same theater. Then Blade Runner 2049. Oh, you know what? I have this wrong. The very first movie I ever saw at the Arclight Cinerama Dome was John Favreau's The Jungle Book. Oh, hell yeah. Your favorite movie. <laughs> oh, my God. I That's exactly. Because our, th- our school, like our last day of class, our school paid for like us to all go see a movie or something. Nice. And I really wanted to see the, uh, do you guys remember the movie Miles to Go? The Don Cheadle, Miles Davis weird artsy biopic no, from like 2016 <laughs> i wanted to see that everybody else was like let's go see the jungle book so we saw that there then it was get out then it was dunkirk then it was blade runner 2049 did not get around to the dome for a while because it was it's a very expensive ticket yeah, it it's is. close to 20 dollars so the next time i went uh in terms of if i might be wrong in letter logging this on letterbox but i think the next movie i saw there was logan lucky oh wow okay the soderbergh movie yeah then uh then this is one of my honestly top three or four, I think, just theater going experiences. Period, was um, seeing Spider Man into the Spider Verse. Damn, Bo- first floor, uh, st- uh, stoned out of my gourd. Yes, um, watching watching Spider Man into the Spider Verse, and just like kind of forgetting that I had a body, and I was just a kind of just a vessel for watching Spider Man into the Spider Verse at this time. Uh, and then a few weeks later, I saw If Beale Street Could Talk. Oh, wow. The Barry Jenkins movie. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Don't you were yeah, probably, right? Were you laughing out of your gourd on that one when they're like, we're not going to rent you this apartment? Yes. Yes, exactly. You were in the screening. That's probably, you remember me from that screening. Yeah. I was uh, yelling at you, keep going. I, this is funny. Keep laughing at them. So back to your point about the Q&A at the Arclight. This is definitely, because you would go to the Arclight. Hollywood a lot, or one would go to the Arclight Hollywood a lot, and sometimes you would go with the intention of going to a Q&A, and sometimes a Q&A would just happen to be the screening you were going to. Yes. At least that was my experience. Um, uh, so, there was, a, there was one time I went with the purpose of seeing the Nicole Kidman, Karen Kusama movie Destroyer at the Dome. Oh, wow. Um, because that was a script I had read when I was interning, my paid internship, Ooh. that I really liked. Really, really liked that script. Uh, I think the movie's just okay. I need to rewatch it so I can get a better kind of handle on it. Uh, but Nicole was there because it was like kind of during award season. Sure. Uh, and the guy that was sitting next to my buddy Jim was like a uh, just a, a semi homeless autograph hound nice. and like crowded Nicole when she like they broke the Q and A and just like threw a piece of paper in front of her for her to sign. That's got to be so uh, fucking the, crazy being Nicole Kidman yeah. and having fucking like glove fingerless glove boy walk up to you and being like sign <laughs> sign my underwear like i hate that uh and then the last movie i saw there was this uh henry cavill really bad cop movie nobody's seen called night hunter but when i saw it it was called Nomis, and i don't need to talk about that it's a bad movie oh the q a experience at the arclight hollywood is something it's um do you guys have any memorable 
like any memories, anything memorable happened when you went to see that one. I, the, the reason I bring it up is the <laughs> one of the craziest just this is when I was fresh to living in L.A. and I thought this is just going to be what the experience of being in that city was like was I went to see the movie Swiss Army Man yep. with um, some of my friends. And we just happened to buy tickets. It was a mostly sold out crowd and it happened to be like the friends and family screening. Oh, wow. And so before the show started, the Daniels and Paul Dano came out and did like a little warm up, like kind of dancing and everybody loose and limber for the movie Swiss Army. Wow. <laughs> and that's like what seeing a movie. You think that that's what's going to be the arc light experience is you either do that or you see Moonlight with Hal Holbrook. Um, but do you guys have any memorable Arclight Hollywood experiences? Yeah, we, we, in April of 2019, uh, we went to go see High Life with, uh, our friend Della and his Russian spy girlfriend, Ksenia, um, who... Dustin, what's your opinion on the Claire Denis movie, High Life? Uh... Did you not hear me just say that he had a Russian spy girlfriend and you're just gonna go, ah, okay, High Life, go for it. We'll get to that, we'll get to that, but I want to hear what Dustin thinks of the movie High Life. (laughs) It was, uh, hmm. it was good to watch for one time. Uh, <laughs> okay, fair. So tell me more about this girlfriend, this Russian spy. So, uh, yeah. so Dustin's like, hey, do you want to go see High Life? And I'm like, hell yeah, bro. Uh, so I whip on over and he's like, okay, Della's going to come with us. And Della is, was Dustin's roommate for what? Four whole years, right? Long time to live with somebody. We lived in the same room. The same room for wow. four whole years. And uh, three different rooms, four years, one night. <laughs> that's, a three, that's a one, two, three, four right there, if I've ever heard one. And no, there's a tagline. <laughs> so we're going, we're going to see this movie, and uh, he's like, just so you know, Dell is going to bring his girlfriend. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, that's fine or whatever. And he's like, yeah, she's Russian. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And he's like, yeah, she's 33 years old, too. And I'm like, whoa, Excuse me? that is not what I expected to hear. So then Della, like, we meet Della at the theater, and, like, Dustin and Cassinia somehow get ahead of us, and Della, like, pulls me to the side, and he's like, you cool with my girlfriend? <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, yeah, she seems great, like, just very just like whatever and Dell's like a like a like a large man like he's tall and he's like very built and so I'm like yeah yeah 100% okay. he's like standing over me and I'm like yeah no she seems cool and he's like that's cool you know she's Russian right do you have a problem with that and I'm like nope no problem with that Della that sounds cool love that blah 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 and then we get in the theater and I'm like I can't believe Della is going to fucking see high life with us this is crazy and he's like very transfixed on the film and by the time the movie's over it's like you know people getting fucked and literally he looks over to me yep and he's like that was a pretty crazy movie wasn't it <laughs> and i'm like no <laughs> what's crazy is you bring your 33 year old russian girlfriend to a screening of high life and she hasn't said a goddamn word this entire time is she fucking <laughs> spying on us what the fuck is she doing dude what the fuck they're no longer they together. together no no not at all okay so we can talk about her all we want absolutely i hope she hears this and i go to fucking gulag jail <laughs> for talking about her but Claire Denis and Robert Pattinson were there, so that was a pretty big treat to be able to see them talk, specifically Claire Denis. The only other, like, really, like, cool cue we saw of the fucking Safi brothers again in December of 2019. Uh, we saw Gems, but we didn't go together. We just both happened yes, to be at that uh, screen. it's funny because it's the same Jacob again uh, back to review. <laughs> so uh, this, time, this time he did sit with me. We were, we were in the back. Uh, obviously, uh, Jem's fever was reaching a, a high point here. Um, Noah, you had seen the movie already. 
uh, and I hadn't seen it yet. Um, and you know what? We just we both went. You were in the front with some friends. I was in the back with Jake. And then once we knew where each other were, we both just stood up in the Paxton Theater before the movie started, and we both yelled, <laughs> "It's Gems time!" Yeah, it was a really beautiful moment. <laughs> and then uh, the woman sitting next to me. So the reason, so I had seen the movie. Literally, not only had I seen the movie already, I had seen the movie the night before this because I wasn't planning on going to this screening. This was a last minute. Hey. This other person in this group can't go. We know you want to see the movie. Do you want to see it? I didn't tell them I had seen the movie already. Literally the night before, I'm like, yeah, that's hell like yeah, my we're doing it. Seeing The Dark Knight Rises, but keep going. <laughs> it's not the same. <laughs> it's not the fucking same, same. movie. Come on, same movie, same quality, <laughs> <laughs> same bane. Uh, and so, and so we're we're sitting there, and this, and I like did. It's gems time to uh, Dustin from the front and to the back, and this woman who I'm sitting next to is like. Oh, so you're pretty excited for this then. <laughs> and, and I'm like, yes, I am excited for this. And then she goes, well, last night, my husband and I, we saw a movie here as well. And I'm like, oh, wow, very cool. What did you see? And she said, we saw Bombshell. And I'm like, wow, that is oh, so boy. interesting. How was that? She's like, we really liked it. And I'm like, oh, cool. I'll probably go see that too. Uh, fast forward. Maybe two weeks later, I see Bombshell, and I wanted to text her, even though I don't have her number, name, or any information about her, and say, Uncut <laughs> Gems was a little bit better than Bombshell. <laughs> but, hey, but, hey guys, but. what if what if Bane was Howard Ratner? This is no different than that. This is me, all right? I'm not a fucking athlete. This is my way. This is how I win, all right? Batman? That's it. Keep going. I just wanted to Never resurface anything. <laughs> Thank you, Dustin. If there's ever a supercut compilation of this podcast put on YouTube, it's going to be Noah telling a story and then Mason coming in and saying one joke about Bane. Because <laughs> that happens all the fucking time on this podcast. Oh, also, so thanks for that. Adam Sandler was there for the Q&A. Both the Safties were there. Ronald Bronstein was there. And Sandler was there. It was actually a good Q&A in the Dome. And I actually got to talk to Benny Safdie afterward, but in the lobby. And that was awesome. But those, I think, are all the, like, big, like, dome memories that we have. Do we want to keep trucking along here? I know. I mean, Noah, do you want to talk about the American Cinematheque, or do you want to get... Uh, let's do I Secret would, Movie so, Club. I feel like we all got, like, bigger we stories. We do, but I mean, so I want to just touch on Cinematheque if we Let's can. get into it. The Arrow and the Egyptian? Yeah, so I've only been to the Egyptian. The only movie I saw at the Egyptian's theater like the th- uh, was uh the master on 70 millimeter uh oh wow September. it was shortly after i met you i think noah uh saw that with uh my buddy ian it was a good movie i not seen that movie on 70 millimeter but that was my one and only egyptian theater experience however this is what i wanted to touch on uh when i was in la and i had been freelancing and i was like just starved for going to the movie theater and i was like how can i see movies for free i looked up um the uh i just kind of was doing a little bit of google searching and found the la film forum and they are a nonprofit dedicated to showing uh independent uh experimental and kind of more artist driven uh, uh, stuff like most of the times that I volunteered with them because I volunteered with them so I could go see movies for free. Basically, sure. they would have the actual filmmaker come and they would talk. It was always a very small crowd. Um, it was usually the people that were running the organization and then whoever could like kind of 
walked by or was like somehow familiar with it. Um, there was one, the most packed screen I went to was not, uh, but the point I want to talk about Cinematech was there's a small theater in the Egyptian space where they would always screen out of. Uh, it's called the Spielberg Theater. Um, and there, uh, and I, to the point that I want to say is that like that kind of experience, um, seeing those stuff, it's a little harder, at least for me to find like in this sort of streaming, um, stew, the sort of streaming swamp, finding those kind of like really niche artist driven, um, experimental weirdo kind of stuff, the stuff that you really need to like kind of sit and pause and be. Uh, active with but those films i feel are so uh neglected and a big part of this you know we're talking about like streaming on netflix or whatever you know your big ticket items those are going to be safe and fine or whatever we have to make sure that we are supporting our smaller weirder cinemas when and those artists when this whole thing is over either by going to la film forum finding stuff in chicago doing that like through chicago filmmakers are uh other ones that i will probably do a lot more research into finding stuff and there's some of organizations in new york i believe um but that is i just wanted to kind of touch and go off on that we don't have to that's my piece uh so we no i agree wholeheartedly yeah uh, that, we um, should probably mention the elephant in the room yeah the red elephant in the room being that's correct that yeah and that, and that was when uh, i saw that news i got i was not it made me nervous for a lot of reasons and one of them was because i knew that Film Forum would survive. They um, screen out of the Echo Park Film Center. Sometimes uh, I met, I went to a, a packed Q&A with uh, Babette Mongolt, who was, uh, Babette Mongolt? I don't know. She's a, 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 a film essayist, a cinematographer. She shot a lot of Chantal Ackerman's wow. movies. And it was really interesting to see her. Uh they screen out there. They have uh, a relationship with uh, MOCA, I believe, the Museum of Contemporary Art in L.A. So they're not losing that space. But the wider point is um, they were kind of ju- they were kind of there basically as a favor from the American Cinematheque. And with Netflix taking over that space, I became very nervous that they were not going to have access to that primo real estate. And there's going to be a significant portion of the LA community that was not going to have as easy access to that kind of uh, screening anymore. I think that Mocha is roughly downtown, so that might not be as difficult to get to as at Echo Park, say. But it was like a two-block walk from the the LA uh, the Hollywood Highland Red Line, which is how I got there all the time, uh, was just by taking the train there. Um, and that's important too. Is is it's it's with the shuttering of these spaces for the time being there's so much other infrastructure that is affected by this in Chicago, the music box is right off of, uh, the Brown line, South Florida stop. Uh, there's the Cisco film center, which is right off of, uh, Clark and Lake, uh, in the loop. Um, the other space I can think of is doc films and that's in like Hyde park kind of, so that's really difficult to get to. And you have to be really determined to get there. If you got to do it, that's at the university of Chicago. Um, the point I don't think I have a wider point on that. Just that Netflix buying up all this real estate. Yeah, you can see like a marriage story or something on the big screen, which is where you should be seeing that movie. You know, that's all part of it. But we got to make sure that we're keeping an eye on these scrappier little underdog folks. Um, And that they have their, yeah, it's so complicated. Yeah, I mean, it's a complicated situation 
because and it's it's kind of I mean I will say Netflix uh, made a donation to the art house uh, theater campaign um, yeah so they're being charitable uh, and that's good um, and they aren't kicking out the American cinema tech right. and the Egyptian they're splitting the space so Netflix owns the theater they're sharing it so they can do marriage story and uh, Noah and I went and saw uh, the Irishman uh, there which uh, obviously had the month-long run um, in November when it came out and wouldn't have uh, I mean it, it played at Lemley uh, theaters which is another great chain yeah. in LA um, but that experience to see it there sold out uh, when the Netflix yeah. logo came on uh, at the beginning there were cheers and there were booze which was I'm really sure. surreal I'm sure that's kind of how I feel about Netflix <laughs> the watching of the Irishman in the Egyptian, even though that theater shows stuff from every decade, every you know country that you can possibly think of, if there's a place that's going to show an art house movie, the Egyptian is one of the places in L.A. you have to see it. But as of all my times going to the Egyptian, seeing the Irishman there is probably tied for my favorite thing I've ever seen uh, at the Egyptian. Being able to see that in the theaters at a movie palace nonetheless – knowing that it was going to be seen mostly on Netflix, kind of a mind-boggling. Yeah. And it's one of those movies, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but I have to imagine you probably do, where I only liked it more the more time I had away from the film. It just grew and grew in my mind of how uh -huh. incredible mm -hmm. that film is. There's a great YouTube channel called Cinefix, which I'm sure people out there know about, but I haven't checked in on them recently. And they did a video about the fact that there's like, it's one of the most amazing Scorsese movies he's ever done, but there's like one moment in particular that is like standing, and I don't want to spoil the video, so go check out that video on that channel. But seeing that there, and we were in the front too, Dustin. We weren't even like in the back. And I was like, oh, I've never sat at the front for the Egyptian before. I'm not super happy we're sitting in the front for this. Thanks, Dustin. What? But yeah. um, I was like, yeah, who, who knows how this will go. And it's What's one of the best the, movie going uh, experiences movie I've ever had. That's tied for best with the Irishman seeing at the Egyptian oh, theater. Definite, definitely seeing Magnolia in that theater was just <sighs> unbelievable. Also, three hours, uh, in my opinion, yeah. flies by, though. Like, that's in my category. That's in a category for me of, like, movies that are over two and a half hours that just fly by. I'm completely enraptured that, yeah. by that one. And seeing that, not only at the Egyptian, but on film as well. On 35 uh, more print, which looks pretty was, good. It did look pretty good. And, like, that movie is one that I am always shocked to hear that people don't like. Like that that is just one where I'm like I get the three hour runtime yeah. is an obstacle and I'm not even gonna try and defend the three hour runtime of it. I personally think it's warranted. You can make the case that it's not, and I think that that's fair. But that is one of the most positive, like optimistic movies I've ever seen. One of the most life affirming films I think that we have, period. And being able to see that on the biggest screen imaginable on film with not only just Dustin, but we had my buddies uh, Cole and Jenna there with us as well. We were a little a little four four. What's that? Uh, that's not a quartet. We were a quartet that night, and it <laughs> was just unbelievable. It was just unbelievable, mind blowing. Jack Campisi, friend of the pod, was also there at that screening. 
Jack. We love that guy. Uh, and Paolo was there as well. Shout-outs to Paolo. Paolo hasn't been on the pod, but friend. Uh, and uh, it's just amazing to be able to see one of the best movies of all time on film at that place, knowing what it meant to me going in beforehand. Um, Dustin, what was that night like for you? Because I just – that was one of my best. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I'm, I mean – like you said, we had both seen it beforehand. Uh, but the beautiful thing about these theaters in L.A., um, it's literally all they play at the New Beverly. Uh, but the chance to see 35 mil prints and 70 mil prints, because the American Cinematheque does yes. have, like, I've seen the Master 2 on 70 mil Mason. I saw it at the Arrow, but the American Cinematheque owns a bunch of 70 mil prints. Um, the big ticket items would definitely be 2001, uh, as well as Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, Noah, if you want to mm. talk about your love for Lawrence of Arabia, this would now be the segue to do so. Uh, First time I ever went yeah. to the Egyptian theater, I was a freshman in college, and I went with friend of the pod, Jack Freiberger, and our two other friends. We drove up from Orange. It was the hardest I had ever seen it rain in Southern California that day. The parking around the yeah. Egyptian is complete dog ass. I don't even remember what we did. We probably, honestly, no, it's I awful. think we parked at the Dolby theater which is not close but it is close enough to be able to walk it had cleared up by then yeah yeah it was but there was four of us so we split the ticket we split the cost of parking um and so we walked there uh we went in it was on 70 and i went for two reasons i went to go see two things in that movie went to go see the match cut and i went to go see the shot of the camel and that's what I wanted to see. <laughs> and I was so bored <laughs> by the film that when intermission hit, I told the other three people I was with, uh, I'm going to sit the rest of this one out, guys. Good luck. And I sat in the fucking lobby of the Egyptian and just hung out on my phone. And I think, like, I just, I don't remember what I did, but there's, like, shit in the lobby to look at. And they all came out, and I'm like, so what would you guys yeah. think? And they're like, oh, it was awesome. I'm like, cool, let's go back to Orange County now. <laughs> let's go sit another two hours in the car. So Did you get um, dirty looks from the people that worked at the Egyptian? Like, people were asking, are you okay? What are you doing out here? They didn't, they didn't give a fuck. They don't give a fuck about me. <laughs> World don't give a fuck about me. Um, no, it was, they just didn't give a fuck. But that is my time. That was my first time I was ever at the Egyptian as well. We talked about um, Magnolia. We talked about the Irishman. The combined running times of those films are is about six and a half hours. Uh, but the only marathon I've ever done in LA was a Godzilla movie marathon at the Egyptian. Yikes. Oh boy! And uh, that was that was a long day. Uh, I don't remember specifically when. I think it started at ten thirty in the morning, uh, something like that. Uh, and then it just went into long into the evening. Uh, the very first was the original Godzilla. Uh, which is definitely the best. No one's going to disagree with that. Nope. Um, but uh, then it went into um, some of the uh, later uh, Toho series films, um, like Destroy All Monsters, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla. Uh, it was a weird day, but my friend and I agreed afterwards that it felt better in hindsight. <laughs> sure. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they uh, they do marathons uh like that all the time and they have a bigger capacity than the new bev so i don't think people have to fight over seats uh but it is uh the idea of movie marathons um like that for godzilla or for horror movies or for arnold schwarzenegger movies it's a great tradition uh, that multiple theaters uh do 
Yes, chef. You ever done you ever done a movie marathon? Well, you kind of talked about your movie marathon, but it was like a little bit of a different movie marathon, Mason, when we had Rocky on last, where you guys spent the whole day doing the 2020 yeah, review. Yeah, that's I'm, or excuse me, the 2012, the 2012 review. review. Yeah, I, I've never done like a uh, kind of uh, a long night of like a, like a long kind of Godzilla movie marathon or whatever with that. It's always been like anytime I've done a movie marathon, it has been at the as I said on that episode the jumping between theaters back in the days when you could do this at the AMC Reveries 21 uh, that I did that 2012 review next time I did that I jumped from uh, I went to Mad Max Fury Road jumped uh, in between screen I was going to go see uh, Ex Machina had about an hour or tw- and 20 minutes or so in between Ex Machina and Mad Max Fury Road squeezed in a little Age of Adeline made by a company that used to sign a lot of paychecks for me uh, huh. And after Ex Machina, I was walking out and I stumbled across a screening of uh, Here's a Blast from the Freaking Past, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl <laughs> that had a Q&A. So I went to see Me and Earl at the Dying Girl nice. to cap off that very long day. And then the next time I did that, I think I it was just um, I bought a ticket or like I got in for free to see the movie Grandma, the Lily Tomlin movie, and then just walked in to see uh, uh, Inside Out. I don't think I saw another movie that day. Oh yeah, but that's that. Yeah, so that's that's just it. I mean, I don't. It's it's it's. There's something about the uh, experience. Uh, I don't know. I just there's never been a, a series of movies like that that is particularly interested to me. I'm trying to expand my horizons of movies that I like. So maybe at some point in the future that'll be something I try. But just whenever that was going on, it was not something I was interested in. Well, speaking of uh, expanding your horizons, let's go to the west side of Los Angeles and let's take a quick trip over the 405 down the canyon into the mouth of the beast, which is the west side of L.A., trying to get there during rush hour when everyone's trying to go to the Arrow Theater in Santa Monica, California. Uh, The other part of the American Cinematheque experience. Uh, I've also seen... The master on seventy millimeter at the Arrow. I went with Jacob, the friend previously mentioned, and Alexander Barrett. Uh, complete docs. Um, what? Uh, what did? What, what's? What's your favorite memory of the Arrow, Dustin? What is it about the Arrow that you like that you think is well, special? Well, I have uh, many different memories of the Arrow. To be completely honest, um, it's hard to go through one and. <laughs> I actually, the most rel- recent relevant one is that uh, in March, right before uh, the shutdown happened, uh, I became a member. Uh, so unfortunately, <laughs> I am a member of the American Cinematheque, but have not yet been able to take advantage yeah. of the benefits of that. Uh, but I'm glad that uh, my money could at least serve as uh, help um, towards them keeping the lights on. Uh, but they, I just see, received an email literally this morning. Uh, asking for people to send in videos of their favorite oh, memory at the, wow. at the Arrow. Uh. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there, there's been a lot of them. Uh, earlier this year, I did have the opportunity, uh, I suppose this is honestly, this is actually longer than the Godzilla Marathon. Uh, it was the Human Condition Trilogy. Fucking uh, freak for doing this. Hell yeah, bro. All in one day at hell the Arrow yeah. on a 35 mil print. Uh, and Noah did not come with me for that one. But doesn't strike I, me as a Noah series, felt... the Human Condition. No, it's not the fact that it's the series. It's well, the fact you know, that you're going to watch all of them on the same day. It's nine and a half hours. It's pretty insane, and it was not <laughs> sold out. But I just felt that the opportunity to see uh, that mammoth 
filmmaking achievement on a 35 mil print. Um, I couldn't pass it up. Uh, but uh, yeah, that one left me in a real doozy. And the thing about the Human Condition trilogy is that uh, it was not all released as one. They were released um, sort of like the Lord of the Rings, uh, one year apart from each other um, over the course of three years. So you can't easily think of them as three different films that you can hit in a weekend. Uh, or you could just go to the Arrow and see them all in one day. Um, we, I think my favorite experience at the Arrow, regardless of uh, who I was with or not, was with you, Dustin, when we were on – I think December of 2019 was probably – our prime for doing this kind of shit because we saw Ed Wood and Dolomite is my name with a Q and a with Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski, the writers of both films and actually a good Q and a. Sometimes when you go to these things, the Q and A's suck dick and this one did not suck dick. Hey, this one was awesome. Speaking of Karaszewski, I ran into him after a new screening. You know what I was seeing? What? Jennifer's body. Okay. <laughs> My favorite one. And you know what? What? He liked that movie, too. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he fucking did. I'm sure you guys are best friends, too. I'm sure you're going to start writing with him instead of Scott Alexander, but nah, none of my fucking business, right? Uh, <laughs> but going to see uh, Ed Wood, which is actually Tim Burton's best movie, like, without a doubt. Like, that is, like unbelievable filmmaking just on every single level. And then watching them. Good movie. Getting them to introduce Dolomite is my name is like awesome because that movie's a little bit of a sleeper hit. That movie was pretty good. I love that movie. Yeah, I like that movie a lot. And again, we got to see it on 35 mil on a theater as opposed to on Netflix. And that's the other thing about watching in it. the theater versus at watching at home. Whoa. Unless you got like an act, like a setup. Unless you got like tins of of 35 millimeter sitting around, you're not gonna see. You're not gonna see 35 millimeters. These are gonna see like like a digital production or a DVD, something on digital. Nothing against digital. You can make things look nice on digital. Things look nice on digital. That's not the point I'm getting at. The quality of light on like I think we talked about this maybe in our very first episode, but it was like maybe to pivot now if we're ready into the secret movie club and the Vista. Because um, when I saw a new movie at uh, new movie in LA, kind of at, at between 2018 and when I moved, it was at the Vista. Um, they didn't show new movies in 35 millimeter because a lot of a lot of companies, uh, unlike uh, except for Netflix, Netflix is very good about putting stuff out on on 35 millimeter. Uh, thank you, Netflix. Um, I saw my favorite movie at a secret movie club screening, which is The Silence of the Lambs, and the fir- and I can't tell you how many times I'd seen that movie just like on DVD or on various Blu-rays that I've had, but seeing it on film in that theater just kind of flipped the switch for me, and I've never been able to see it the old way uh since it's something about the quality of light it's something about the the way that the image just like kind of moves and dances a little bit um it's it's how the um just i i i uh, i I can't quite describe it you know uh 4k gets kind of close to the the image quality of film um from what i can tell at least like 35 uh, if we want something to get close to the image quality of 70 millimeter, I think we need to get up to like 10K. I think I heard that somewhere. Um, but aside from just like going and hanging out with your friends, the theater experience is important to me because it gives you the opportunity to it's 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 the projection of the images that's the thing that's special about it. Totally. It's the images themselves are, but you can, you know, 
you can download a copy of Magnolia and take your favorite screenshots from it, but it's not going to replicate the, the, the experience and the sensation of having somebody in a booth watching that movie to make sure that there's no like kind of air skip in the continuity of its presentation. Like there's no pausing. You kind of have to sit and just surrender yourself to it. And that is beautiful to me. And this, that's what I miss. The social stuff is what I miss. Listening to you and Dustin talk about all your fun times going to the theaters was great. It just made me miss going to see movies, uh, even with strangers and just like kind of going by myself. Cause I'm a weird antisocial person. No, I don't dude. see movies with other people going that often. The, going to the um, movies by yourself is a fucking treat. I love it. I think <laughs> it's so good. It's one of my favorite fucking things. Going, say, what I'm about to say is going to sound like a fucking diss Dustin, but it's not, but going to see movies with you is kind of like going to see them by myself. <laughs> <laughs> Only in that, like, I don't feel obligated to be, like, any certain way. I just feel like I can just enjoy it or, in a lot of cases, not enjoy it and be okay with that. And Dustin knows when I'm not enjoying the movie as well. Like, he's, like, very aware when I'm like, oh, fuck, we got, what, like, fucking 45 more minutes of this bullshit. Like, it's very obvious. Well, I appreciate that, Noah. I do take it as a compliment. Uh, I am able to pick up on uh, when you are not enjoying a movie. Uh, it's not that you are overtly obvious, but I am sitting next to you, and I have sat next to you. I've sat next to you a bunch of times now to know when uh, when we're seeing Magnolia and when we're seeing Hard to Be a God. And boy, sometimes it can be hard to see, hard to be a uh, god. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it can be. That was at the beautiful Fairfax Cinema, which has been rebranded from Cinefamily and the uh. Silent Theater. Uh, that is a place that I wish I could have gotten to more before the shutdown occurred because they were did Todd Salon's Happiness on thirty was it thirty five Dustin they did that on film right oh I saw Welcome to the Welcome to the Dollhouse there and Todd Salon's and Heather Matarazzo were there for a little Whoa. and then the sec yeah they were doing that and then they were gonna show the movie Palindromes and I was very excited to see the movie Palindromes because I'd never seen it before but I love Todd Salon's I'd love to get Todd Salon's on the pod one day uh, but. After the, uh, I was just plum exhausted after the excitement of seeing Todd Salons in, per- in person. So I uh, walked out of Palindrome. What? The very first time I ever walked out of a movie. Dude, yeah. that is a fucking. If you're a Todd Salons guy, like you gotta be ready for Palindromes. That is a crazy fucking movie. I we're talking about that movie on the pod one. Day. I was uh very sleepy. I was like Todd, I love you, buddy, but I just cannot be there. I cannot be here for this for you right now. I need you need. I need to give you my full attention. Uh, you need to have my full attention. The, and I just, the, uh, I the ability of, uh, the speaking of, so that we've done the Fairfax cinema slash cinema family. I do briefly, if we are running out of time, I do want to talk about seeing, uh, Wanda at the Billy hammer, or excuse me, the, uh, Billy Wilder theater at the hammer museum. Uh, because that is a place that Dustin was able to scope out and find. It's part of the UCLA uh, sort of film extension thing. People who go to UCLA and are in the film program can see films there for free. It's a nice little space. It's not to the uh, elegance and sort of elaborateness of the Egyptian or the Arrow or anything like that, but we did see uh, Wanda there coupled with what might be the worst movie Dustin and I have ever seen in the theater. And so I'd like to introduce a new segment today called It's Off the List. It's Off the List. Everybody wants to get off the list. So bring your shit and bring your other shit and we will put you off the list. 
Well, here we are on It's Off the List, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, we got a great show for you today. Uh, our first only and last episode is going to be on The Visitors, directed by Elliot Kazan. Who, boy, that movie sucks. Ooh, Dustin, thanks for being wow. here today to talk about The Visitors. Dustin, what did you think of The Visitors, directed by Elliot Kazan? Oh, no worries, man. It was only 80 minutes, so it really wasn't that much time. But was it one of those 80 minutes? Was it one of those 80 minutes that felt like an hour? Like or like three hours. Only eighty minutes, but it felt yes. longer than the Irishman. It was one of those. Hate it was those. legitimately like one of the most frustrating experiences Dustin and I have had in the theater together. But great space. Just wanted to bring it up, but it is off the list. Off the Straight list. up off the list on that one. Um, the only other place that I think that we really uh, need to talk about is um, I think that's got to be the Lemways a little bit, right? We, we should we talk about Color Out of Space, Dustin? Yeah, they're they're a great chain uh, named after Carl Lemley. Um, and yeah, earlier this year, Noah and I got the opportunity to see uh, Color Out of Space there, uh, which is the latest <laughs> Nick Cage bonanza. Um, and it was a very limited run. Um, and it wasn't a live Q&A, but they had a taped Q&A uh, with Nicolas Cage and the director, Richard Stanley. Uh, and that was that a was real a freak fun machine time. moment. He dude that watching those two get up on stage together, it literally felt like kindred spirits. Like, and it was Richard Stanley's first movie in years. Like, this was the first movie he'd done in what was it? At least ten years, right? I think it was actually closer to twenty. Damn, and it's crazy. It is fucking wild, and it is one of those things that like you're not going to see that playing at AMC. You're not going to see that playing at Regal. You're not going to see that playing at Edwards. That is something you'll only see at these little independent chains. And I have a love as well for the Lemley because that's actually, I've actually had a movie play at the Lemley. Yeah. One of my films that was in the uh, Glendale film festival. That was where it played was played at the Glendale Lemley. And uh, I have had a movie screen there. And so it has a special place in my heart as well. And, when uh, I live in North Hollywood, which uh, I namely do, I can walk to the North Hollywood Lemley from my apartment, and so I have seen a lot of good little things there. I could, I when I lived in North Hollywood for a spell, and by a spell I mean three months, I would walk to that Lemley all the time. Uh, I can't. I saw uh, with Stillman's Love and Friendship there. I saw Star Trek Beyond there. I saw uh, Paul Dano's Wildlife there. Not a particularly good movie, wow. I think. Uh, but I love the Lemley. I wow. think the best movie I ever saw at a Lemley uh, was I went to the, the one on the west side. I can't remember which one, uh, but I saw Burning there. The uh, the Harakazu Koreeda, I believe that's who directed that. Uh, or no, Lee Chang Dong. Lee Chang Dong. No, Chef, Dong. That is Lee Chef, Chef, uh, yeah, Lee Chef Lee. Dong. Chef Lee. Uh, Chef Lee Chang Dong. Uh, incredible movie. I would love to talk about that movie on the podcast sometime. But uh, yeah, love the Lemley chain. It's similar-ish to a landmark. Uh, I have a little bit of an affinity for the landmark. Yeah. In Chicago, uh, the Landmark Century Center, where you take a uh, labyrinth of escalators to get to the top floor of a mall that used to be, I think, a theater space of its own kind. Uh, it's it's an incredible, crazy building that I uh, adore. I saw Star Wars there. I was uh, one away. Star Wars Force Awakens there. I was, uh, I got a free ticket to see, uh, Boyhood there, and I was waiting in line, and I wow. was, uh, thir- the second or third person past the cutoff point, so I never got to see, I didn't get a chance to see Boyhood with Dickie Lynx in person, unfortunately, uh, but I love that space. I think I saw, the first movie I ever saw there when I was a kid was March of the Penguins, because, uh, Aww. do you guys, are you guys done with LA Corner? Because I have a very brief 
touch on some other theaters uh, in and around from my childhood that I would love to just touch on. Please do, and then let's wrap this okay, fucker so up. Okay, so very quickly, uh, Facets. When I was a, a, a tyke, a wee one, very, very small, they had a uh, camp over the summer that I went to. It was like a future Chicago critics camp or something like that uh, through the Chicago International Children's Film Festival, which they sponsored, the only Academy Award uh, qualifying children's film festival in the United States. A couple summers, I got to pick the movies that would be in that festival when I was very young. Got to make a little movie every year. Got to see movies. Got to see movies from all over the world. Facets is a uh, nonprofit, and a lot of the money they make is through um, uh, DVD rentals. You can rent if you pay ten dollars a month. You can get three DVDs sent to you, and they have an insane. Uh, library of titles. They also put out movies. They had a t- they had a uh, DVD sale a few months ago. Um, but that's a space that is very near and dear to me, and that's a space that is not like anything I could find in uh, LA. They also uh, screened movies such as Waves and Gems, among other like kind of weirder, artsier stuff throughout the year. Um, but that is unlike any other kind of space or community, just because of its it's just deep quality to providing people in Chicago and around the world with access to, uh, different like voices and, uh, uh, art that they wouldn't otherwise have access to. And it's very near and dear to my heart. Uh, I also wanted to touch on briefly my hometown theater in Downers Grove, Illinois, the Tivoli. You can see it from the train station. Uh, it's a big one screen movie palace. Uh, they have an organist, they have an organist that plays in front of the movie. Sometimes, um, I played jazz band concerts there. It's where I saw my very first movie. And it's also the second movie theater. I think for sure in the United States, I'm not sure in the world that ever broad that could ever, um, project sound. Um, it is old. It is the, uh, it, it is old. It is beautiful. Um, and, you know, there's a convenience to an AMC. There's a convenience to a Cinemark. I love my hometown Cinemark so much. Eight bucks a ticket. Can't go wrong with that. When the, when we are able to go back out to the theaters, um, try to find – my kind of point that I want to wind up to at this point is going to community-based theaters has been a very important part of my childhood and my life. Uh, and that is the thing that I miss more than going to like an AMC or a uh, Cinemark. I went to the Vista a lot because it felt like it was part of a community as much as the tickets were cheap. You know what I'm saying? As much as you could go to the when it was still open, go to the Good Luck Bar before going to see fucking uh, uh, a serious man at the se- at the secret movie club. And then you see Joe Swanberg there and you're like, oh, my God, Easy's my favorite thing. It's my homesickness show when I'm in L.A. Um the East community-based theater, the Lumley I would consider community-based theaters, the, the the Egyptian, the Arrow, these are all inherent and special to the places that we uh, are from, and those are the places that really need our protection right now. And you need to, you know, do a little searching, see if there's like fun, workers' funds, mutual aid funds, uh, because the work in a movie is not just the stuff, you know, the kind of invisible work, the work on the screen, the actors. Uh, it's all the invisible work behind the screen to get those scenes set up. You know, your set dressers, your gaffers, your electricians, uh, you know, the writers. And you, you, uh, it's also the people that are taking the time to pop your popcorn and make sure you're in a clean space and taking your ticket and projecting the theaters. And those people are also in jeopardy right now. 
Uh, Dustin and I talked about it at the beginning of the mo- at the beginning of the episode, and I'll do as best as I can to find different uh, funds for these affected people so that they can have a little bit of security during these times. But we have to make sure that when this quarantine is up, we are going and we are supporting these folks and these spaces because uh, if anything, this time has really made me consider how important these spaces are to me, how important they are to the community that I live in, how important they are to just people I will probably never even know just by virtue that they are there and they exist. And there's a real risk. I fear that they uh, will go away faster than we think if we're not very diligent about it. So um, I hope that our discussion, I guess (laughs) showed you why going to the movies is important. Like it's very clearly very important to at least two friendships on this podcast. I don't think I ever saw a movie with no one. That's a big regret of mine, but one day, buddy, one day we will. Um, but I have a lot of movies that are based on going, a lot of friendships and relationships that are based on going to the movies with people. Um, it, they're important, and uh, it's the going that is important, I think. It is the making time and putting time apart in your day or your week to say we're going to meet at this place and have this experience uh, together. And I think that we had a very good discussion that was a lot of sharing memories and a lot of sharing uh, why this is important to us that, and I hope that people are receptive to it and I would really love to hear other people's uh, like fucking uh, memories and experiences and their favorite times going to the theater so just leave comments where you can DM me, DM the show tweet at us, whatever the fuck you gotta do but uh, we're here, we want to hear from you and uh, I think that just kind of wraps up the last of my thoughts on this whole thing do you guys have any anything else you want to talk about i feel like i talked for a very long time here um but what do you guys have anything else you want to you want to get get out any more experiences any more fun memories anything else thank you chef for that delicious dessert um i think we are running out of time unfortunately so dustin is there anything you else you want to say before we plug some shit uh no i mean these theaters uh kind of run the gamut in terms of how they can be different even though they're playing the same repertory uh cinema selects um obviously something like the new bev uh is bankrolled by mr qt himself so they're gonna be around but there are theaters all across america not just in la or chicago which is obviously where we're getting our expertise from that's where we're uh going but there are theaters all across uh, the country that could use the help and uh when this quarantine is over if you know of a place wherever you live that maybe you have been to maybe you haven't been uh, check it out, and I think the the return is going to be important uh, for people to come back to uh, and enjoy what we had before, but with a very fresh new lens, uh, especially not ever taking it for granted ever again. I, I certainly will not. Thank you, Chef Dustin. <laughs> Thank you, Chef Dustin. Justin, where can we find you if we want to find you? What do you have to plug? Do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, I wish I had more things to plug. Uh, but no one's doing much right now unless you're in government. Uh, so I do have a letterbox now. Uh, that was the big Hell event yeah. of 2020. It's my full name, Dustin underscore Titcom, T-I-T-C-O-M-B. I'm on Instagram too, but uh, the letterbox is probably more relevant. I'll plug something for you then. Check out J4B TV on Instagram, baby, and Just 4 Boys on YouTube. Love them. It's Dustin, it's Ben, it's Della, it's Adam Hole, it's all four of them. They're doing fun stuff. And uh yeah, one yeah, that's what I'll plug for you. Can I plug that? 
Thank you for plugging that for me, Noah. I appreciate yeah. that. You're welcome. If you want to get in touch with the show in any way, shape, or form, you can email us at everybody wants to number two get on the list at gmail.com. If you want to connect with us on social media, you can like us on Facebook. It's on the list with Noah and Mason. You can follow us on Twitter at it's on the list pod, and you can follow us on Instagram. It's on underscore the list. You can also follow me on Instagram, believe it or not, what? at Noah.marger, and you can follow uh wild g on instagram at wild dot world that's dot with a period mine is dot spelled out d-o-t you can follow me on twitter and letterbox at noah narger and give me a kiss when this is all over because that's what i'm gonna like mason where can the folks find you, can find you? Me on letterbox under my name you can find me on spotify also under my name where i have been compiling all the music that we have talked about on the show into the it's on the open parentheses play close parentheses list can shuffle through Warren Zevon, Emily King, uh, Royal Headache, Today's Choice, Elbow, Weezer, well, just whatever we've been talking about. It's there. Uh, I'm on Instagram at HotDogDebicki and also at GoodSky, tonight's T-O-N-I-T-E. Uh, I am also going to just be hanging around in my room with uh, Forky, so come say hi to me and Forky when this is all over, and I will also give you a kiss. Uh, that's, I think that about does it, folks. This has been a very long, very good, very fun, uh, episode. We gotta do part two. We gotta do part two. At some point, we will do part two. When we can go to the movies again, we will do a part two. But, uh, ooh, thanks for listening to the show. Ooh, thanks for listening to the show.